to focus on verses 5 through 10, okay? And I'm going to kind of bring us up to speed on verses 1 through 4, okay? 5 through 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Father, I ask that you would teach us now. And Father, we would listen to what is given here. And Father, that we understand the example and the pattern. And Father, we also heed the warning. Father, let us rejoice in the freedom that we have in you. Let us rejoice in knowing that we're heirs to the king. Let us rejoice that we are friends with Jesus. But Father, let us beware, lest we think we stand and we fall. To you, my Father, to you, our Savior, in Christ's name, amen. This text is, is difficult because if you get just parts of it, every other message, uh, you can have a blast, okay? And, and so you have to be warned because he's coming out of the text that says that I have buffeted my body. I literally bruise myself, my flesh, and make my flesh my servant, my flesh does, I do not serve my flesh. My body, this vessel that I am in, serves me. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. And the reason that he said that is that he doesn't want to be disqualified. He does not want to be found useless for God. He's already touched on this earlier in this letter when he says, let us be sure that what we're building with is gold and silver and precious stone, not wood, hay, and stubble. Remember, both groups there are building things. Both groups look like they're a solid structure. But when the fires of the world come against it, what happens? Wood, hay, and stubble burns up. Okay? And, and I want us to understand this because um, you've got to look in, this, in, in the picture and into the context that is given. We are not talking about salvation here. We are talking about service. Service. Listen, lost people don't want to serve. It's irrelevant. Okay? Saints should have an overwhelming passion to serve. But in that service, we need to guard our freedom, this liberty that we have uh, as, as new creations, as born-again people. We need to guard that, that our freedom doesn't master us. Doesn't master us because we want to go to the edge. I was reading a little story or, or uh, an illustration that somebody gave, and I can't remember who it was because I've been reading a lot on this. And it talked about a little boy who was getting ready to get into bed. Okay, and he crawled into bed, and, and um, uh, the parents went to sleep, and shortly within an hour or so, there was this great crash and. Oh! And so dad jumps up and he runs into the little boy's room and he says, what happened? What happened? And he says, father, I believe I got too close to where I got in. Okay. How many in Christendom stay too close to where they got in? Okay. And I thought that's a very appropriate illustration because we do have a problem that as these, the nation of Israel in, cha in chapter 10 verses 1 through 4, they were freed from a situation they had no ability to overcome. Okay? Uh, in our Sunday school class this morning, I shared with them that faith is lived where? Sunday school class, pay attention. At the point of what? Desperation. Okay, and so I went to our Sunday school class and explained to him, are you desperate? Of course, you got your pastor sitting there and sure, I'm desperate, I'm desperate, I'm desperate. And then I had to show him how desperate they truly were. Okay, why? Because you will not live by faith if you are not 
desperate. And yet the Corinthian church as the nation of Israel had gotten confident. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. Oh, you poor pagans. I am of Christ. Okay. Look at, no, we laugh, but look at the church today. Well, who does your, what seminary did your pastor go to or what, who do you study under or what method of study do you have or what do you do with this or what do you do with that? Why? I have now arrived at confidence. I mean, let's be realistic here. Okay. You've got to get a hold of this. All right. Is there anybody in this room who doesn't feel the need that they would like to help other people? Anybody? None of you. I ain't helping nobody. Okay? But we all want to help, don't we? We all want to be of some use in the kingdom of God. You know what? I hate to break the news to you, but you are absolutely useless to the kingdom of God. You can't help yourself, let alone help someone else. And if I don't stay in that position of desperation, then I become confident and once i become confident i believe that what i'm doing will have what kind of effect whatever effect i deem is necessary okay look at what we do today look at what we say successful ministry is you're all guilty you know why i am it's got to be successful. They've got like nine services in the morning and they've got nine services at night and they've got, they don't have parking and they've got this and they've got that. They've got a website. They, look, the pastor's written like 400 books and this has happened. Therefore, it must be successful. Okay? Then what you just said is that the Apostle Paul, Peter, John, and Jesus were failures. Because when I look at that picture of success, I look at the gospel record and say, my Lord poured himself into 12, one betrayed, one denied, and the other 10 run off. You say that Ezekiel was unsuccessful. You say Jeremiah was unsuccessful. You say Isaiah was unsuccessful. All right. Why? Because now you just stepped into I am confident. And I, you know, I, this is important. Uh, Dr. Olfer wrote a book on this text that says it's a contemporary message for a contemporary church. I find that fascinating because it is. It's an extremely important message. All right, why? We've been freed. We have been freed. Not only that, we are guided. Not only that, we are sustained. Not only that, just as Israel, I have the very presence of Christ with me in every, every instant and circumstance in life. I have that now. You have that the moment that you become a child of the living God. But look at verse 5. With most of them, God was not well pleased. Now, there would be an understatement of Scripture. With most of them, God was not well pleased. With most of them would say, all but two. Okay? And depending on whose commentary or hysterical, uh, historic, hysterical, hysterical research you look at, there's between 1.5 million and 2.5 million. And out of that number, whichever number you want, be conservative. It's only a million. Two, God was pleased with. Why? At a point of desperation, Joshua and Caleb said, they're giants. They're huge. There's no way that anybody can overthrow the land of the Canaanites. But God's with us. And I ain't worried about whether we can do this, but check out what he did with Pharaoh's army. And God's with us. Okay? Romans says that you cannot please God without faith. 
It's impossible. It's impossible. All the resources, all the freedom, and there are only two of them made it into the promised land. In Numbers, 9, in four, in <laughs> Numbers 14, 16, he uses a term here. This text says they were laid low. The Numbers text says that they were slaughtered in the desert. Okay? Why? God wasn't well pleased. Please, I, I want us to understand something here. And I don't want this to dwindle far from your brains. This has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. Please understand that. This is service. This is service. God called them to be a witnessing community. But because of their disobedience, because of sin, they were found useless. And so that established community was set aside. Okay? Understand, in that community, of all of those who died in the wilderness, some of those were believers. Please understand that. Okay? It's, it's no different than what Jesus describes the church. The church is what? It's got wheat and it's got tares. All right? Same picture. Okay, but I'll give you a qualifier on that one. Hebrews says that we now have a new covenant. And the word new there means nothing like it's ever been before. It's a new covenant. Paul said it's the mystery. What was the mystery? The church. All right. So they were found useless as a community. God was not well pleased. Here's the point Paul's trying to get at. They had everything. They had all of the privileges. All right. And here's what happens. They became self-sufficient. What happened to the church in Ephesus in, in the letter of Revelations? Lost their first love. What were they lacking in? Nothing. Not only that, God had done amazing things to them, hadn't He? And yet, what had happened? They lost their first love. They lost the reason that they're here. They lost the reason that they were a group collected there. They abused their freedom. They abused the gift. All right? Like the little boy. They were right on the edge. Right on the edge. And all, all they had to do was roll one way. And what happens? Boom! Hit the floor. Hit the floor. And God let them go. God let them go. They died in the wilderness. Why? They were useless. The privileges were of no use to them. Okay, now listen, I want us to understand something. We here at Castle Rock Baptist Church know this. 2 Timothy, we have studied. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 says this, In a large house, now in a large house, there is not only gold and silver vessels, but there are also vessels of wood, of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. You know what he's talking about there? The church. In the church, there are some vessels that are very precious. They're very, they're silver and they're gold. There are some that God will exalt in honor of Him working through that vessel. But in that same house, there are some of dishonor. Okay, now listen, again, the issue here is not salvation. The issue is service. Usefulness is what I call it. Usefulness. Usefulness. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it says this, Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Okay, when is that, Paul? When is the last days? When will the difficult time come? Okay? If you take all of Paul's writings and look at his big pictures, you will find out Paul believed that the last days began at the incarnation. All right? At the birth of Christ. All right? But as it escalates toward the great apostasy, it will only what? 
intensify. It's like the birth pains. Remember Jesus talked about in Matthew 24? The birth pains. You'll get that first little twing. Right? And then what happens? You get another twing. And the twings get bigger and bigger and bigger until the husband catches the brunt of it. Right? And then you have this great birthing. Right? But it's the birth pains. The birth pains are not the issue. The birth pain says the issue is coming. Not only is the issue coming, it's a lot closer than it was one pain ago. Right? Right? So if you can be a believer and be taken out of service. Look what he says. Verse 2 of that text says, For men will be lovers of self. Okay? Spurgeon loved his, his commentary on this. He says, The lover of self is the sewer pipe that the rest pours out of. Okay, now let me explain something to you. Some people believe that Paul is telling young Timothy, This is what lost people are like. Really? Do you really have to tell a saint of God what lost people are like? No. This is the body of Christ. They will become lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous. Reckless, conceited, lovers of, listen to this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let me tell you something. Lost people don't love God. He is not an issue. They have no qualms with God. So this is the body of Christ. Why do I say that? Because they will hold, verse 5, hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And Paul told Timothy, he says, you know what? Those people, you need to avoid them. Why? Because they need to be outside of the body of Christ and let Satan teach their flesh a lesson. Listen, this is the saints. And I hate to say that. But he also says, if anyone comes against you, young Timothy, you pray that God brings them to repentance and to knowledge of the truth, that they will quit doing the work of the devil in the church. Did you know that? Did you know that there are saints that will spend eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ with you and me who are doing the work of Satan in the body of Christ? That's what Paul wrote the letter to 1 Corinthians for. You have divisions. You have schisms. You have this bickering going on. Spiro Zodiades called it personality cults. I'm more interested in him. I'm of precepts. I am of induction. I am of Paul. I am of MacArthur. I am of Swindoll. I am of this. It's all over the place. I would rather be in the Calvary Chapel type. I believe a true church should be an independent church. I believe that if it's not an elder church, I believe... I don't understand that. I really don't understand that. Why? The reason that that happens is because men and women in the body of Christ become lovers of themselves. They they may have been a vessel of honor and they are now a vessel of dishonor. They may even get to the point where they are of no use to God whatsoever. Okay? How many start out in the service of the Lord and find themselves entangled in the things of the world and find themselves completely out of the race? They're not even running anymore. How many people find themselves entangled and they get so entangled that they fall into temptation and it becomes blown sin in their lives? And yet God says that the body of Christ, like the nation of Israel in the Exodus, will be my witnessing community. These people will bear witness of who I am, my power, my glory, my majesty. Not only that, I will allow them to have the privilege to deal with individual souls and deal with the eternal destination of souls. They will literally be a part and parcel of my redemptive plan. And yet some children of God will say, I'm more concerned about my freedom. What is my right? Doesn't my God want me to be 
happy? And you ladies who are studying with my wife will come across the text in 1 John 5. It's a controversial text. I don't believe it's controversial, but you know how I am. A lot of people have this in there. He says, there is a sin that leads to death. Okay, what's the first question that jumps up? What sin is that? Why? I'll make a note (laughs) that I'll stay away from that one. Okay, do you know what the sin is? Anybody know? No. No one knows. When does God's grace and mercy for his children run out? No one knows. And God did that on purpose. Why? Go ahead and play. Go ahead and play. At what point does my grace stop? I know. Okay, guess what? When you fall over dead, so will everybody else. Okay, in the next chapter in 1 Corinthians, he says that in this body of people, chapter 11, verse 30, amazing text. We looked at it briefly. Jim touched on it because he comes out of that and he says, you know, you better examine yourself and what he's doing to eat the bread and drink of the cup because he who eats, eats and drinks judgment on himself... Okay, if you're not paying attention to what you're doing when you partake of the remembrance of the price paid for your salvation. He says, what happens? Many of you have grown weak, okay, and sick, and a number have slept. There were people who would take part of the Lord's table in a way That God's saying, you're not part of my community. You are shaming me. You are not exalting me. And you would go and dare take part in the remembrance of the new covenant and think that I shall sit idly by? And there were those in the Corinthian church who were literally dying Because they were saying, my freedom, my rights, my will, my happiness is more important than other saints of the body of Christ and Christ himself. And he says there were some who were literally dying. Laid in the desert, the Corinthian Church had corpses laid in the desert because God wanted them to be a testimony of service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Freedom mastered them. I want to be happy. If I have this certain job, then I can do this for Jesus. No, you won't. Never do it. Impossible. I've watched it over and over and over again. If I can do this, then I can give more. No, you won't. It's impossible. If you don't have the servant's heart now, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. If you're not faithful with a little, do you really believe he will give you more? Look at verse 6. Chapter 10, verse 6. Here's what he says. Now these things happen as examples to us. Tope, tope. Okay? It's a model. It's a pattern. That's what the Greek word means. It's an example. I want you to see the example, Paul says. Pay attention to what I'm saying. I just started over there in chapter 8 and 9 and showed you, you have freedom. Golly, you got more freedom than the world could ever even dream of. But be warned of your freedom, Paul says, that you're not disqualified, that you're not useless. Okay, but then he makes this statement because I, I, I found this fascinating. So that we would not crave evil things. Uh, the word there, crave, is to lust. Okay? Evil things as they also lusted, craved. Okay? Now, if I went through this room right now and asked each one of you, okay, if, what's an evil thing? Okay? And we would all hit the big ones, wouldn't we? Adultery. Uh, 
immorality, fornication, stealing, lying, homosexuality. We just go through, we can bang, bang, bang. You know, I know all them evil things. And then I would say, why do you know all them evil things? But anyway, uh, <laughs> okay. The understand is, now I, I need you to grab this because there's a misconception that happens in this text. He's dealing with freedom. Is freedom evil? No. No, it's not. Okay? There are things in my freedom that are permissible. Are they not? There, there are literally things as a free child of the Lord Jesus Christ that I am allowed to do. Ain't I? Okay? But I bet you if I threw my list to yours and yours to mine, we would have a conflict at some point. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Why? I was meeting with Matt. I met with Matt before he left for Christmas. And there's been some things going on. And he says, how do you live above reproach? I mean, with what's sort of been going on in your life, how do you live above reproach? And I just smiled at him real big. And he said, well, tell me how. I want to live above reproach. I said, you can't. He goes, what? He says, but it says in Timothy that you are to live above reproach. Right, God's standard. I said, but understand, God's standard will always clash with man's standard. Man will say, well, I think that that there, what you did is not above reproach. Okay? And I, I always like the comeback that I have. Don't bring an accusation against an elder unless you have two witnesses. That's tough. Why? Because... I can go do something. I know people right now, if they found out that I have gone to the movie theater, how in the world could you have gone to a movie theater? You know what? I look at them and I ask, did you see The Passion of Christ? And they said, yes, I did. And I said, did you know that that was rated R? But I watch it happen. Why? What is above reproach? God's standard. God's standard. Please be aware of that one. All right? But we have a problem that this example of Israel are examples, are things that happen to us. Okay? We want to look at Israel and we want to pay attention and we listen. Okay? And, and, and when I read this about evil, we say evil. Well, I know what that was. They were doing this and this and this and this and it was evil. <coughs> Let me show you what one of their evil things were. Numbers, what a lovely book. You know, I, you know, the, the Jews today exalt this book, and I read that and think, golly, that's your relatives. <laughs> okay. Numbers 11 says this. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity. That's how it starts. Okay. Has anybody here had adversity? Really? Okay, and have you ever had, you know, when I think of adversity, I think of death of a loved one. Okay, I heard a talk radio show the other night with the tsunami. And and the guy's question that he had laid out there is, why did God allow this to happen? Okay, and I, I love that. And I, you know, why don't somebody call in and say, why when you sin, does God allow you to take the next breath? Okay, the issue isn't earthquakes. And you think earthquakes is bad, read the end of the book. Gee, many crickets, PETA and Greenpeace are going to go nuts that last three and a half years trying to keep up. Okay? But it, and when you're in adversity, I have heard, listen, go read the book of Job. That boy was having some adversity. And let me tell you something. He was complaining. God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why this is happening. All right, so that's what he uses there in, in Numbers 11. <clears throat> he says, the people, this is the, the, the Israel, Israel, Israelites out there in the wilderness. They've been camping for a long time. They began to complain of somebody adverse, adversity and hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. By the way, that's not a good thing. Okay, and the fire of the Lord burned against them. So when you kindle that thing, understand that it's, Going to burst into flames, okay, and and can and consume some of the outskirts of the camp. 
How'd you like that? Huh? Did you see Mickey's tent? <laughs> Never seen anything like it. Spontaneous combustion. Why? I don't know. What were they adverse about? Do you know what they were complaining about here in the 11th chapter? They wanted meat to eat because they had been eating manna morning, noon, and night. Now, in my household, if manna was pizza, my, ha- my household would rejoice morning, noon, and night. Okay, now I want you to think about something. You're out in the desert. I've seen this place in the desert. This place makes the Mojave Desert look lush. I mean, the only thing that grows in this area is dirt. And there ain't nothing out there. It is dirt. I mean, if you go down to uh, out of Las Vegas and go into that part of California, that southern part of California, there's at least Joshua trees. And if you hit it at the right time, you'll see something that grows and it's got a little thing of green on it. Ain't even a twig in this part of the world. It is dirt. It is rocks. And if you're tired of that, you can have more dirt. And if that bums you out, you can have some rocks. That's it. I mean, they call it a desert. And I'm saying, desert? A desert should be insulted. This is, this is like the moon. And yet God was feeding them three meals a day. Three meals a day. You know what the response was? I'm tired of eating this. People cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. What happened? Well, the outside of the camp was on fire. <laughs> Houston, we got a problem. Why? There's nothing flammable in dirt and rocks. So what's going to burn? Just your possessions. All right? So the name of the place was called Terberah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. The rabble who was among them, you know what that is? Those are the troublemakers. That's what they are. I am so sick and tired of eating manna. What does God think I am? A vegetarian? Come on, give me a break. Adam and Eve were vegetarians. I'm not a vegetarian. I'm supposed to eat these animals. Where are the animals? Well, look where you're at. They're in the desert. What's out there? Dirt and rocks. Okay? Here's what he says. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And so the sons of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? Then look what happens. Here's what the warning I want you to see from this. This is what you and I are all guilty of. God is meeting your needs. He is only meeting your every need. He is blessing your proverbial socks off. And here's what you will do. We remember the fish that we used to eat free in Egypt. I remember what I used to do when I was in bondage to my flesh and my sin. And it was way more fun. And here I'm sitting around eating three square meals a day out in the middle of nowhere. And God just provides. You know what? I don't have to go to the restaurant. I don't have to cook it. I don't have to open up a can of beans. I don't have to do nothing. God is just laying the stuff at my feet. I just pick it up and eat it. But when I was blind, naked, and depraved in my sins, I had a blast. How many of us fall into that? Now, you won't get up and say, well, when I was blind, naked, and depraved, I had more fun. But you will say, but when I was this way, this was definitely better. Okay? We remember. But he's, he makes this co- co- comment in verse 6. Here's what they're, they're talking about. Let me tell you how, how people are. Listen, this is people who's been freed. This is the people who have seen God. God's hand literally moving among them. They they are sustained. Not only that, the very presence of Jesus Christ is with them. Verse 6, but now our appetite is gone. New American translation. It literally says, my soul is dried up. You know what he's saying? There is nothing at all to look at except manna. It's like, I am not even hungry anymore. I might as well just fade away and die because Jimmy Crickets is just manna everywhere. Gosh. Let me ask you something. If you've got kids today, when your kids respond to your gift that way, what's your response? I set the outside of their camp on fire. (laughs) 
Verse 34 says God struck him dead for complaining. Okay? I want to be a slave. I want to be this. I liked it better when I could eat fish. Okay? God meeting your every need of sustenance, and what is our response? You can't believe he's just man all the time. Man in the morning, man in the evening, man at several times. God says, fine. Flame on. Okay? How about I cook some of that manna for you? Okay? Where did it start? Well, I remember when. When you were a slave and absolutely had no freedom, you were nothing more than a tool. And that was better? That was better? So when I go through this evil stuff, I really have to question it. Okay? Because when we look at it, we would think of evil, and we would think we would go in the top ten of the Ten Commandments. Okay? But I need to take us somewhere else. Okay? We here today, we need to go to somewhere else. I want you to go to the book of Haggai. Now, you'll find out whether (laughs) the instructions in the front of the book are divinely inspired. Haggai, where is he at? Just before Zechariah, which is just before Malachi. Or Malachi, his brother. Okay, it's like at the end of the Old Testament, sort of. Let me give you an update here quickly. Oh, yeah, plenty of time. In 538 B.C., Cyrus decrees the return of the Jews. Okay, do you know where they're returning from? Seventy years of captivity to the Babylonians. That's where you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and them gentlemen. Is Is it clear? In five, okay, 538, go back. 535, Israel begins to construct the temple. They're not literally building the temple. It has been in ruins for about 80 years, and they're in the process of putting the bugger back together, making it back to what it looked like. In five years after that, all right, so 538, they get let free. Three years in the new land. What do they begin doing? Building the temple. They work on it for five years and then they stop. Okay? 520 is the ministry of Haggai. Is Haggai. He is a prophet. You know what a prophet is, right? He says God is telling the people. All right? So he's a prophet. All right? In 521, uh, Darius becomes king of the Persians. Here's what he says, Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people, okay, who would the Lord of hosts be talking to? Israel. The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. You know what God's saying? Who's building the temple? Haggai, ask this people, who's building the temple? That's what he's saying. Okay? Do you realize that this this conversation right here, if you take it chronologically on a perfect scale of numbers, it's only 18 years out of Babylonian captivity? What generation has died off? None of them. None of them. They have been in the promised land back into Israel, back into Jerusalem and the Temple Mount and all the rest of it for less than 18 years. And God asked him a question. Who's building the temple? Verse 3 says, The word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled homes While the house lies desolate? That's the question. That's the question. God said, I put you in Babylonian captivity for 70 years because of what reason? Anybody know? They refused to allow the ground to go fallow on the seventh year. 
You know what that means? Harvest it for six. On the seventh year, you don't put anything back, which means you should have been saving some stuff. Okay, why? Because the ground needs to rest. It's the seventh year rest. And what did the nation of Israel do? Well, if I let it rest, how am I going to make money? All right, how am I going to make a living? How am I going to, you know, barter? How am I going to do any of this? Okay, what had happened to the Jews now that they'd gotten out of Babylonian captivity? I'll show you. He says, you dwell in your paneled houses while the house of the Lord lies desolate. Verse 5, now therefore says the Lord of hosts, love this verse, consider your ways. Okay, now let me tell you something. I'm not a deep theologian and I'm not a great thinker, but if God says, consider what you're doing, hello, I'm listening. Wouldn't you? He says, Israel, nice house, nice place. I love the way you have covered the windows. They look so good. Nice pictures. I like the motif. It's wonderful. It's excellent. I just can't believe you've done such a fine job with a stone house. What about my place? What about my place? Look at verse 6. <clears throat> this is amazing stuff here. You have sown much, but harvest little. Okay, you bring, on, bring in little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, and there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing... But no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put in a purse with holes in it. Grab a hold of this, America. Grab a hold of this Castle Rock Baptist Church. What's he saying right there? You're taking care of your food. Okay, are you getting enough to eat? How about your drink? Are you getting enough to drink? How about your clothes? You got some good clothes? Got nice clothes? How much clothes you got in your closet? And you need more for the reason, oh, you're not warm enough? He says, not only that, you're, 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 you're doing well financially. You keep sticking your old money away. Why? You know, for a rainy day. I'm putting that old money away. My, my 401k, my IRA, my SEP, my whatever. I'm putting that away. Why? I'm going to retire. And when I retire, I'm going to do things for Jesus in the Caribbean. Hey, that's what he's saying here. Look what he says. The Lord says in verse 7, consider your ways. He says, you better be thinking about this thing. You better be thinking about this. Look what it says. Verse 8, go up to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the temple. It literally is the house. That's the term that is used in the Hebrew. Rebuild the house. Why? That, what does it say? I may be pleased with it. And there's a reason that God wants to be pleased with his house, with his temple. Why? And be glorified. And be glorified. Interesting thought, isn't it? What had happened to Israel? They had been taken out of Babylonian captivity because they had not been obedient to God. They had come back and they had looked at it. If you read Nehemiah and some of them other letters, you'll see that, that, you know, that some of the older people who had literally were there when they went into captivity come back out and they looked at the walls of Jerusalem and at the temple and it says they began to weep because what they saw there just broke their hearts. The glory of the Lord had left. Because the temple was the single most evidence of the presence of God. It was this magnificent structure. It glowed with gold. It shimmered in the sun. And all Jews would look at the temple and say, We are the children of God. But when they came back, the thing was in shambles, was in ruin. The Babylonians had, had literally taken it apart, stole the gold out of it. And he says, What has happened? And the Jews were doing what? 
Well, you know, Lord, I, I understand that, but, you know, we need a place to live. We need a place that's got, you know, some curtains on it and some stuff like that. You know my wife. Anyway, and we got all this other stuff that is going on. All right, got to put the new carpet in. I need the paneling on the inside. That's what he says in this text. You live in paneled homes. And look at my place. God says, and he says, and you keep, you keep sowing food, but you know what? You just never get enough. He says, you keep pressing your wine, you keep pressing your olives, and you know what? You just never have your thirst quenched. You keep ferreting your money away. Why? Because God, it's a rainy day. You know, I've got to be a good steward. Let me show you something that's amazing here. Verse 9. You look for much. You know what he's doing, right? This is earthly possessions. You're trying to get this stuff all together. But behold, it comes to little. And I, you know, I can see the people sitting around going, boy, is that the truth? I tell you what, I'm working an 80-hour day and I can't get bank account built up. I can't get nothing going on. When you bring it home, what happens? I, Jehovah, blow it away. You know why they couldn't get enough to eat? You know why they couldn't get enough to drink? You know why their clothes weren't warm enough? Do you know why when they kept sticking their money in the old bag that it would just fall through the holes? God was against them. Why? What was important to these people? My house. My house is. I need to put in food. I need more clothes. Why? Well, it's spring. I have to have clothes for spring. I have to have clothes for the summer. Fall fashions are coming out. I don't know what they're going to come out of Milan. You know, to keep up with it. I can have work shoes, dress shoes, dress shoes for this shoes, this, that, and the other. Why? Come on, God, we're your people. You don't want us to look like a bunch of beggars, do you? But it's okay, Lord, because once I get this thing settled down, and Lord, you know that every time I get a little money, then the, the, the well breaks, the, the water pump on the car goes out. This happens, this happens because I can't do this. I don't have a car. I need tires. I need a battery. Gas prices, God, look what the gas prices did. They went right up over $2. How do you expect me, God, to give to you? Okay, now listen, you read that, and i got to be honest with you, when I first read that, I thought, is that evil? Absolutely. You know why? Anybody know why? Do you believe that God knows that when a sparrow falls, do you know that God knows the hairs of your head and that sparrow dies, are you not more important than that bird? Then why would you be so consumed on your needs when your heavenly Father knows your needs before you even ask of them? Israel's bad at that, ain't they? He says, I blow it away. Let me tell you how bad it got. Verse 10, therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld dew and the earth has withheld its produce. Do you see that? Verse 11, the Lord says, I called for a drought on the land and on the mountains and on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil and on the ground that produces it, on men, on cattle and all the labors of your hands. Yow. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, Jehoz- uh, son of Jehozak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed, here's the key. New American Standards translates it, showed reverence for the Lord. Okay, literal Hebrew word there is they showed fear before the Lord. Okay, now listen, this isn't a fear that says, oh, my God, he's going to send me to hell. This is a fear that says, 
Uh-oh. Okay. Let me ask you a question. We've already looked at First Corinthians. It said, where's the temple of the Lord at? We are. Aren't we? Aren't we the temple? How many of us are worried about how the outside of the temple work looks instead of the inside of the temple? And how's it come every time we keep working on making the outside, we just never seem to get ahead? I keep making it. I tried to put this eyeliner on. I didn't. Some of you did. And, and I tried to do this. You know, I need to go get my teeth whitened. I need to go get my belly tucked. I need to get whatever else we end up doing. You know, my head, I need plugs or I need painting it. I need to change its color. Why? I don't know. You know, my wife gets into it and she says, you know, well, I'm getting silver. I said, Bible calls that an honor. All right. Well, but I want to get rid of it. Fine. Get rid of your honor. And she goes, oh, that's not right, Terry. I didn't write it. Please get a hold of this, people. How many in this room today are worried about the outside of the temple? And God is saying, it ain't the outside, fool. It's the inside. That's where I'm at. Because you know what? When I take care of the inside, the outside only glorifies God. Ask yourself a question. I'm coming out of 1 Corinthians 10. He says they craved what? Evil things. So did they in Haggai. Now I rejoice in Haggai. Because you know what happened? The people freaked out. And you know what they did? They built a temple. And it was elegant. And God was pleased. I believe that we who are gathered here this day, God's saying the same thing. Nice looking outside. But have you ever noticed that your outside doesn't ever seem to get caught up? Why? I want the inside fixed. Because that's where I'm at. That's what he's talking about. That's what Paul is warning the church in Corinth about. That's what Paul says. You know what? Israel has been given as an illustration, as an example, as a pattern. There is a pattern in humanity, Paul says, to quickly fall away. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Now, I won't close with this because I want you to hear this. When the Jews were out in the wilderness, okay, in the desert, How much distraction did they have from the things of God? How much? I mean, the satellite TV on the camel broke, and I I can't get HBO out of Cairo. What do they got? Their cars? The Bible says their shoes never wore out. The cost of shoes today, do you understand that miracle? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, to buy a pair of Air Jordans that would never wear out for $400 or whatever. Anyway. But how many of us today are concerned about the things of this world? You know what? He's telling the Corinthians they are in one of the most decadent pagan societies that could ever be. And he's saying, you really need to be careful. Why? If it can happen to a group of people wandering around in the desert that are only watching miracles on a moment-by-moment basis, how susceptible are you? And then he says that as an example unto us, that would be you and I. What are our distractions? What are our distractions? Well, the car don't start. I need to pay the gas bill. I need to pay this. I need to do this. I need to do that. Yada, yada, yada. Take it down the line. What is it? If I don't get this much together, then this ain't going to happen. If I get this, then this is going to happen. Let me tell you something. If you base your walk with Jesus Christ on financials, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. Man, when they can ask, what's that guy's name? Turner. Ted Turner. How much money is enough? He says, I don't know. I've never gotten there. You believe you're immune to that? 
Do you really believe that you need to be so plugged into the financial markets so that you know what your stocks and your investments are doing? Because, you know, Social Security ain't going to be there. You know what God said? I know when a sparrow falls. Are you more important than that? He says in James, he says, you know why you don't have? Because you ask so you can indulge your flesh. That's what the letter of Corinthians is dealing with right now in chapter 10. What's our focus? You know what's amazing about that letter? Haggai? Where are the idols? Where are the idols? They are there. Don't kid yourself. Ezekiel tells me where they're at. They are in the men's hearts. They're in the men's hearts. Why? I need a wife. I need a husband. I need children. I wish I'd get rid of my children. I got need this. I need this education. I need this job. I need this retirement. I need this vacation. I need this. I need that. And they're all, every single one of them can become an idol. There was a remnant of the people and they obeyed the Lord. And you know what they did? They obeyed the word of Haggai. 13 says, Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. I like that. I like that. 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Joaz, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month and the second year of Darius the king. And you know what? History says those boys got after it and got it done. God called out a witnessing community. He called them out of freedom. He says, but understand, there is an abuse to that freedom. I got to ask, what about us? What about us? Where do we set this day? What's important? Listen, I got news for you. Looking at your house and, and, and you know clothes and stuff like that, that ain't the issue. That ain't the issue here. But let me tell you something. If the temple of the Most High God is not foremost in your life, you are next to the edge of the bed and you're flirting with the possibility of being absolutely useless to God. That's 1 Corinthians 10. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brother Paul, but I also thank you of Haggai. Father, I, the things you've shown me is just so amazing to me. Father, I was even, I have been pierced so much by your word. Father, let me not stumble. Father, let me not become obsessed with other things of this world. Father, you have shown me that your calling and your giftedness is irrevocable. Father, I know I've been called. Father, and I know that I've been gifted. My Savior, my Lord, may I only be a servant. Father, may these people, these precious souls, may they understand the urgency of the day. Father, may we collectively band together to be a witnessing community of the glory and the majesty of our Redeemer, our Creator, our Lord. To you, my Savior, and I believe this is what you would have. Father, may we, beginning with me, be the fullness of Christ. Christ. 